You're listening to Broadview Church Sermon Audio. For more information or to donate to this ministry, go to broadviewchurch.ca. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Broadview Church. Again, I want to, my name is Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor of student ministries here. I just want to do a quick apology. We had a little bit of technical difficulties this morning. So if you missed some of the announcements, you can go check out our website. Again, we're glad that you can join us now um, for our service this morning. So this morning, as we continue our discussion on Philippians, we've been looking there for the last couple of weeks, and Pastor John has led us uh, in a series that we're calling Under Construction. As we look at Philippians, we see that the church when we as individuals, we are under construction. We're going towards the aim of completion in Christ and who he's created us to be, but also who he's created us as a whole church to be. So we're going to continue that discussion. As we do that, I want to start by sharing you a little bit of a story that I had with working with, with a friend of mine. So a couple of years ago, as I was on the road towards ministry, I spent the beginning of one summer working at a motorsports store, and I had the privilege of going and working there with a couple of my friends that I was later going to go work at camp with that summer, and it was awesome. I'm not a huge motorsports fan. I know there's a lot of people in our church that love motorsports, whether it be motorbiking or uh, sledding or whatever, snowmobiling, whatever you call it. I'm not too sure. But either way, I got to work at a store that uh, sold a whole bunch of that stuff. And it was really cool in a way, even though I wasn't like super passionate, like seeing all those nice new things, like the nice new motorbikes, the nice new side-by-sides. That was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to work in that environment. Uh, but one of the coolest things for me was I got to work side-by-side with one of my closest friends at that time, His name is Austin. And we worked side by side literally all day, every day. It was awesome. We polished bikes together, which was okay. It was cool for the first bike, and then it got a little monotonous after that. Uh, We ripped apart pallets, did inventory, you know, the fun things, the the grunt work, um, which was good. Uh, It was a lot of work, but it was really, really good in general. Uh, And we worked together very good. We were united. We were working side by side. We were, everything was going perfectly and efficiently, at least in my mind, at least what I thought. But apparently that wasn't the case. As time wore on, I noticed that something in Austin's temperament kind of changed. He started to get a little bit more reserved, more quiet, and I was like, is he just tired? Like, this is like a different kind of work. Sometimes it's boring. Is he just getting tired from that? And then I found out that the problem was me. (laughs) When we worked by side by side, everything was done efficiently and effectively, at least in my mind, because we did it my way, always. It was always my way. And that started to frustrate Austin a lot. And he started even praying to God about it, like, God, can you just really show him what, kind of what he's doing? And eventually, by the grace of God, I finally realized by myself through, again, the Spirit kind of helping me see that I was like uh, over-controlled when it came to working with Austin, that I was kind of doing everything my way. And eventually he asked for grace, asked for some forgiveness, and we started to fully work together as a team. Uh, but there was a little bit of disunity there, a little bit of um, tension. But again, by the grace of God, it was uh, sought together. And we became more uh, of a team as I became more of a team player. Now more often than not, when we're at work, when we're spending time with those we love, when we're on vacation, when we are at a restaurant even, we Often, as humans, and this is part of our human nature, we approach things with a me-first mentality, where we want things our way. Again, we're pursuing our interests, and our culture really 
really advocates for this. And we need to be viewing this as very important. We need to be advocating for this. Again, our rights, our interests, they need to come first. Whether you're out eating and you get something wrong with your order, if something, even a little thing is wrong, like that is, you have the right to what you deserve. You have the right to get your food your way. And uh, if it's not, then you deserve it being right. Not only that, they deserve more recompense, whether it be a free dessert or something else. And you might be like, you know what, like we're Canadian, like we're really polite. That doesn't usually happen. No, Canadians do this all the same. We just do it a little bit more differently. And even Christians, I would say, like you could be like, oh, Christians are really nice. Like we as Christians, you know, like we kind of like let others go first and things like that. But no, we still have this me first, this, this self-interest mentality just as much as many. But I would say that we're a bit more tactful when we do it. And we reserve it for particular settings. And I want to share one with you that I think is really relevant to the church. See, as Christians, we pursue this self-interest, this me-first mentality, especially uh, if you've been a Christian for a while and you move and you go to a new church. We see this a lot with this. And we see it when we have disagreements in the church as well. But when you go to a new church, we usually come with a list of things that we kind of require from the church. Again, things that we're looking for are, so for how we get fed. Whether we, okay, is there a worship style? Do I like the songs that they do? Do I like how they do worship? Uh, the preacher, does he speak too long? Does he speak too short? Is he a yelly preacher? Because, you know, I might like that, might not like that. I'm not sure. Is, does a preacher wear cowboy boots? I could actually see that being a deal breaker for some people. Think about my friends out over in Alberta or in Texas or whatever. Again, that could be a deal breaker. Or um, do they expect me to serve a lot? Or can I kind of serve kind of when I want, uh, not when the need is needed? And so on and so forth. Where do they stand on the hot topics? Where do they have pews or do they have chairs? Again, some of these things, like we can think about kind of our self-interest when it comes even to those little things. So we've seen this in history's past. We approach church like we're approaching going and shopping for clothes. If there's a little blemish on it, if there's something that is not perfect, then you know what? We'll toss it to the side and we'll leave it for someone else or we'll leave it again to get tossed. And even more than that, if we come with a full consumer mentality, and I think this happens more often than most, we approach church like we do entertainment, where we say if it's not new, if it's not shiny, if it's not stunning, and if it costs too much, then is it worth it? So to be a Christian, there is a cost. To be the people of God united together, there's a similar cost as well. The church is still under construction today. It is in the perfect image of the body of Christ that we are called to be, that we see in the future where God calls us to be, where he's molding us to be. We, there's tension, there's disagreement, there's disunity. Yet by the grace of God, we are still brought together all the same through his grace, through his power. And at Broadview Church, we're spending the next little while looking at how we, we as individuals, but also as a church, are under construction. And today I want to look at how we are called to be the church that God has called us to be and how we can get there. But there's a cost to it. So what is that cost? What is the cost to be the church that we are meant to be? In Philippians 2, we're going to see how Paul was already teaching the Philippians about how to live for the gospel and how to live not only as individuals, but also as the church as a whole. Uh, so we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 2, the first, first, the first 11 verses, and we're going to see kind of what 
Paul challenges and encourages the church to do so that they can be fully united together, so that they can be the church. And let's look for that uh, in that way for us as well. So let's read together. Chapter 2 in Philippians verse 1 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look at his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So the first words that Paul gives in this passage of Scripture is an encouragement, but it's also a challenge, and it's a challenge for the church. And this isn't the first time that Paul's given this. He has already given it before And we see it even a couple of verses before, again, this challenge, this call to be together. So we're going to look back a little bit to what Pastor John shared a little bit last week. We're going to look back to 1 Philippians 27, and we're going to see how it connects to the start of the passage today. Paul writes this, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit." with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Again, that be together is already there, that challenge to be together. And he says this, he continues, and not frightened for the faith of the gospel, uh, sorry, and not frightened uh, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for, your sake of, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The church is called to unite together, to be fully united in God. He says, complete my joy, complete my work, but more so God's work. You do this by being of the same love, being of the same spirit. Again, in the spirit of power and presence. Being also of one mind. Again, be fully united, fully together. This is the call that Paul is giving here. The church was never created to be a people separated, a people that was disjointed and disunified. No, we were called to be a people together. If you're a Christian, you're called, uh, that word Christian means that you are joint to a people. You're not just a person in yourself. No, the word Christian means you are associated to a people in Christ. 
that you are unified with them. And not a unity that is lost in uniformity, no, but a unity centered on a person. Then when we unite together, we pursue Christ. When we unite together, Jesus dwells our thoughts, and Jesus is the center of all of our actions, our desires. He is our motivation. He is our desire. That when we are together, when we, pers- when we are Christian, we are together fully. By definition, Christian means that we are associated with others who believe the same thing. That means we are together. And the call that Paul gives here is for us to be fully united together. Yet often, we define this word as something different, and we see it differently. And I, I want to share a little bit of his book. Uh, uh, in the Fellowship of Difference, Scott McKnight shares the story about this Christian who was a new Christian, this Christian lady. And when she was a new Christian, she came, and she was walking on the street, and she started talking with someone. And she noticed that there was something different about this person, that they might be Christian. So she went out and just asked this person, hey, are you Christian? And the person was, so she was rejoicing in her heart. She was like, oh man, I met a Christian. Like, how joyous is this? She was so ecstatic. But then as you fast forward, as this person was continuing to journey with God, months later or years later, she goes and she... uh, is walking on the street, and similar things happen. She starts talking with someone on the street, and she notices that this, this person might be Christian. But then these questions go in her mind. She starts thinking of these questions like, okay, this person might be Christian. Are they Baptist? Are they Lutheran? Are they Pentecostal? Do, do you think they land on this side of this issue or on the other side? How are we similar? How are we different? Too often, even as Christians, we can get lost in the noise of how we are different, that we lose focus of what really matters, of what unites us together. This is an issue that we all face, an issue we must battle. And we see this battle in the book of Philippians. We see this alluded to so far in the first chapter, and this is something that we must battle today as well. If we are to make an effort to fully unite together in one spirit, in one mind, with the same love as Paul says here, we need to do a significant effort, and that effort has a cost. But before we get to the cost, let's see why we need to make this effort. It's not just so that we can just be unified for the sake of unity. No, there's a reason why we need to be unified, not just because we're called to, but something more. So let's look at, take a look at the end of this passage to see the reason why we need to be unified in this way. Let's read the last couple of verses. Verse 10 and 11 says this. 9, 10, 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The church is called to be unified, not for our interests. Again, we, we don't pursue unity as a people together so that when the end comes and we go to heaven, that in heaven we can see this giant plaque saying, Broadview Church, the most unified church in history. No, that's not the goal. No, the reason why we're called to be unified is so that Jesus can be proclaimed and praised. You see... Our unity together is one of the biggest things that we can do together 
that proclaims Jesus. It's in our unity that we actually display to the world, not only display to the church in ourselves or display to people around the world uh, uh, that know Jesus. No, we display to everyone through being together, through being unified, that Jesus is who he is. We display him by being his body, his image to the world, as a people together. And I would say that if we are his body, his image to the world, that if we make any effort that is against unity, it would be to belittle the name of Christ and even in some ways blaspheme it. That if we are to be a people of one mind, of one spirit, in the same love, then any action of disunity would actually be a sin against Jesus. It would be sin against his body and therefore a sin against him. But thank goodness for the grace of God that Jesus has covering all sins. And we need this, because if you look back at church history, it is filled with disunity, it's filled with tension, it's filled with disagreement, but by the grace of God, he's kept us together all the same. But we're not just called to be a church together and partially crumbling. No, we're called to be a church fully unified for the glory and praise of our King. We're called to be something more, something more complete, as we'll see and see more and more. So we're called to be unified together for the praise and proclamation of our King. So for us to do this, if unity is the call, if unity is for our King, then what is the cost for us to be united in Christ? And we see this in verses 3 and 4. So let's look together at these verses. This is what it says. It says this. Do not... From self, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his, his own interests, but also to the interests of others. For us to be united, the cost, honestly, is our very lives. And Paul writes that for us to be united in one mind, in one spirit, in the same love, we must flee from selfish ambitions, we must flee from conceit, we must pursue with everything to love others and love Christ. And that, not only that, when we flee from selfish ambition, when we flee from conceit, we need to pursue humility. And this isn't humility uh, that is defined by a low self-esteem. No, what it means, what humility means is to think overall just less of yourself, less of your interests, less of your pursuits, of your opinions. No, just think overall of yourself less and to think of others more. We're called towards humility. We're called to Pursue the interests of others. And Paul further challenges that we not only need to pursue their interests more, uh, not, not, uh, we need to pursue their interests more, not just to equate uh, our pursuit of self, our, our own interests, and the pursuit of their interests. We actually need to do, uh, pursue, we need to pursue theirs way, way more than ourselves. And I don't think we see this, at least in how we can look at these verses in simplicity. You know, I think... Paul makes this argument way more with what he backs it up with, and we're going to look at that very soon. But let me give you a little illustration with what, how much of an effort we need to do so that we can pursue what God calls us to do. We can be, pursue unity. See, 
as we journey towards completion, again, it's often a journey where we can sometimes fall off. And just like this balance beam, uh, if the end of the balance beam is pursuit of being complete in Christ as a people, but also together, often when we journey there, we're often weighed down and it makes it harder to step towards that because our love of ourself is weighing us down. It's holding us back. And often it can make us fall off as well. The great weight of, and the great interest we put in loving ourselves is huge. We love ourselves a lot. As humans, that is in our nature. And we see this all the more, as I've said in culture. But if we start loving others, then we are a little bit more balanced and we can edge towards where we're called to be. But even still, the weight of how we love ourselves, we need to know that that weight is great. So not only do we need to love ourselves, we need to do the two commands. We need to love God and love others. And by, if we continually pursue this more and more, eventually the weight will tip and we'll slowly edge further and further towards completion, towards the people that God has called us to be. To be the people that God has called us to be, we need to pursue loving others, pursue loving God way more than how we pursue our self-interest. I think this is what Paul means with what he's going to back it up soon, but I just want to give you one more way of saying this. And this is said by, famously by Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, who was a French monk in the first century. He's, he says this about our journey towards completion, especially when it comes to how we love others. This is what he says. He says that our journey towards completion has four degrees of love. So this is what he says. He says, what are the four degrees of love? First, that we love ourselves for our own sake. This is on this end of the beam, this side of our journey towards completion. That we love ourselves for our own sake. Since we are unspiritual and of the flesh, we cannot have any interest in anything that does not relate to ourselves. When we begin to see that we cannot subsist by ourselves, we begin to see God for our own stakes. Again, we take a couple steps, but the weight of loving ourselves is still a lot. We're, we're journeying, but we're still a long ways away. Again, we love God for our own sakes. This is the second degree of love. We love God, but only for our own interest. But if we begin to worship and come to God again and again by meditating, by reading, by prayer, and by obedience— Little by little, God becomes known to us through experience. We enter into the sweet familiarity with God. And by tasting how sweet the Lord is, we pass into the third degree of love. So that we now love God and I would say love others. Not only for our own sake, but for himself, for God's sake. It should be noted that in this third degree, we will stand still. For a very long time. I'm not certain that the fourth degree of love in which we love ourselves only for the sake of God may be perfectly attained in this life. But when it does happen, we will experience the joy of the Lord and be forgetful of ourselves in a wonderful way. We are, for those moments, one mind and one spirit with God. For us to move further towards the completion of who God calls us as individuals to be, but also as a community, as the church, we need to pursue the interests of God, pursue the interests of others far greater than the interests of ourselves. And this is the cost of unity in Christ. 
This is the cost to be the people together. The cost is yourself, your self-interest. And this is a cost to be the church. And this is the co- but this cost isn't one that God was not willing to do himself. And we see this where Paul plants this idea in one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And we, let's read um, Philippians 5 through 8 where Paul lands this idea why we should do this. He says this. He says, have this mind to pursue the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all names. See, before Jesus came to save us for our sin, he was already exalted. He was on the throne. He, he was God. And if he just pursued his own self-interest, he could have stayed there. He could have, done, uh, he could have had eternal glory regardless. But no, out of the interest for us, he came down from heaven, came down as a man, to pursue our interests of salvation. Even more, he humbled himself all the more to the point of death on a cross. Why? So that we could be exalted with him. Jesus, when he came to earth, when he captured salvation for us, he did that pursuing our interests so that we could be exalted with him. He pursued our interests far greater than his own at least in how we can see that. And this is where I feel Paul's landing this idea. That Christ, again, was willing to sacrifice himself, again, humble himself to the extreme so that we could be uplifted. By, by Jesus pursuing our interests, we could be exalted. We could be with him for eternity. The cost of unity in the church is one that Christ led in. And this is what Paul challenges us to do. That we need to lead in humility. Lead by pursuing the interests of others. Pursuing the interests of God far above our own. The cost to follow Jesus is to pursue the interests of others. This is the cost of discipleship. This is the cost of following Jesus. This is the cost to be united together fully in the church in Christ. To be the church means we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for the interest of other and ultimately that of Christ. That through our sacrifice, we may glorify God and we may pursue the unity that he's called us towards. We pursue unity through counting others better than ourselves. And I just want to share one last story of um, what that can actually look like today. So I have a roommate who does amazing in this. Again, he's willing to do anything uh, for the sake of others. His name is Liam, and he's got a huge heart for others. If you ever meet him, like, you see that very easy, very quickly. And one, I have a story from last summer. Uh, He was, uh, again, he was working, he had a really busy summer working in general. He's, he works construction, and he was, again, for a lot of people in construction, this, this was a really busy summer uh, from everyone that I've talked to. Like, a lot of people were very busy uh, just with projects, and he was busy all the same. But uh, he heard from a, one of his close friends that uh, his friend's brother 
bro- their car broke down in Alberta. They didn't have money to get a tow truck, didn't have money for repairs. So what did Liam do? He dropped everything. He dropped the work that he was doing that day. He dropped, uh, he, he put aside the cost that it would take together, put aside the cost of time, the cost of energy, put aside the cost that he would have of that day of work. He put that all aside. And him and his friend, they went out to Alberta, fixed the car, and brought them back uh, here so that they could have a place to stay as well. Again, that is radical love. That is radically pursuing the interests of others far above the cost uh, that you could have in your self-interest. Again, I am astounded by what Liam was willing to do, to pursue the interests of a person, not even a close friend, but a friend, a, a sibling of a close friend. So what does unity in the church look like? It means laying aside your self-interest, whether it be interest revolving around finances, revolving around status, even interest of your opinions, even when it comes to non-essential disputes, to be united in mind, to be united in spirit, and especially to be together with the same love means loving radically. And radical love means considering others more than yourself, humbling yourself and pursuing their interests more. For the sake of Christ, as we pursue to glorify him and be fully unified in him. We see this in Liam's story. We see this in the teachings and the example even of Paul's life. You can see this throughout his story in uh, 1 Corinthians 9 and in, um, in other writings of his letters. But we see this most ultimately in Christ as he was willing to sacrifice all so that we could be glorified with him, we could be exalted with him, we could have life with him in heaven. The cost of being the church is your own interest. And we must radically pursue this to be the united church that God has called us to be, to be a church of full unity so that we can glorify our King. So my questions for you are this. What do you need to let go of? What's something in your life that you might need to let go of so that you can pursue the interest of others? What's something that you might actually need to pursue so that you can uplift others, so that you can pursue their benefit? What actions must you take so that we here at Broadview can be further united and we can further glorify our King? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you've given. You gave your life. Why? So that we could be united with you for eternal life, forever, Lord. That is the gift that you've given us. You gave all so that we could be with you at all times if we pursue you. Lord, if there are people here that have not pursued this, Lord, I ask that uh, you can work in their heart through your spirit so that they can come and they can see what sacrifice you're willing to do for us so that we could be of one mind, of one, um, of one spirit, of one people together in you. Lord, help us to be more and more the people that to, together here at Broadview so that we, in our unity, can show our community here in Salmon Arm, but also the world, who you are, that we can proclaim your name to our, each other, but most of all um, to you, that you unify us in the greatest way. So help us pursue this, Lord, so that we can glorify you, our King. Lord, anything that we do... Maybe an act, not away from you, but an act towards you so that we can be the people we have been called to be, that we can be the church that you are calling us to, a church uh, pursuing completion in you. 
I pray this in your name. Amen.